was about five years ago, almost to the day, when I was working as an assistant on a natural building project in Senegal. And after the day's work was done, we were starting to sort of decompress at the end of a long work day. Me and the students were kind of chatting and we were making fun of accents. And of course we had students from all over the world and you know, and so we were talking about European accents and American accents and it became very clear to me just how much everybody knew that I had a very standard American accent. Not too pronounced, nothing like a Southern drawl or a characteristic New York accent, for example. But I'll never forget one of my favorite students was this girl named Lena, a very timid little Austrian girl with a big hair of blonde dreadlocks and baggy work clothes that she always wore to the work site. She didn't speak up a whole lot, but in this particular case, she looked straight at me and said, Oliver, your voice sounds like a podcast. <laughs> and a lot of us just kind of cracked up. I think a lot of them agreed. And that's really how this whole thing started. You're listening to Regenerative Skills. I'm Oliver Gaucher, and the purpose of this show is to share actionable information about how to live in a way that contributes to a regenerative future for everyone by highlighting the people and projects that exemplify regenerative thinking and solutions. This is the very first episode of the first season, and after four years of hosting the Abundant Edge podcast, I want this episode to set the tone for what's to come. Now, I learned a lot from more than 170 interviews and panel discussions from the last seasons of the Abundant Edge podcast, but one of the most enduring lessons that I use and apply every day is the importance of questions and the power that they have, not only in getting information from others and keeping a conversation going, but in shaping the way that I think and what I prioritize. So this first show is about how to ask better questions and how you can leverage them to completely change your life in whatever way that you want. I'll be sharing some of my own observations, and I'll be speaking to two women who've inspired me to stay curious and continue to audit my own thought process and conclusions along the way. So be sure to stay tuned until the end, because in every episode of this new format, I'll be breaking down the steps that you can apply in your own life today to move forward to a regenerative future. So through the last four years of experimenting and learning with this show, I've also been through a lot of personal challenges and growth, and many of which have found their way into the interviews themselves. I did an internship in bamboo building, I invested in a small farm in the mountains of Lake Atitlan in Guatemala, in a small Mayan Cachiquel village called Sununa with two of my closest friends at the time. I later left that project to travel through southern Mexico, visiting regenerative projects and making short videos. And then from there, after visiting my family in the States, I moved here to Spain, which has been about a year and a half ago now. And one of the most valuable things that I've learned over that time is just how much good questions can do for my understanding. Questions have helped me to be a better listener and to listen more actively. They've shaken my belief systems and my assumptions. They've helped me to observe closer and change the focus of my searches. And all of these things have made me better at my work as a designer and a consultant for regenerative projects too. I mean, before I focused on asking better questions, I had a tendency to rush towards solutions without fully understanding problems. But in the last few years, I've found that the right questions can give me a chance to pause and make sure that I'm focused on the root of what I'm struggling with. Sometimes the goal isn't actually to answer the question itself, but to find out something new or interesting in the process of investigation. Questions like, what is the meaning of life, for example, isn't a question that is often meant to be answered matter-of-factly. It's personal and evolving. 
It opens up exploration of priorities and beliefs, teachings from your childhood, moral quandaries, and struggles for self-improvement. The best thing about this show is that I've gotten to try out these new questions and ideas of how to better inquire about the world around me and from people who I respect and who I've learned from directly. So after four years of working on this podcast and interviewing some of my favorite and most inspiring people, let me break down seven of the ways that I've learned to ask or craft better questions and to get the most mileage out of them. So number one, even a bad question is better than the perfect one that you never ask. Getting used to asking questions and getting over the fear of how you'll be perceived if you ask a dumb question is really important. Sometimes questions that seem dumb are actually the ones that cause us to think more deeply about our very basic assumptions. Number two, know what you're hoping to learn first and then craft questions around that end goal. So for example, if I wanted to understand why a natural builder would choose adobe walls over, say, cob, I could ask, Why did you choose Adobe over Cobb and, of course, get a clear answer? Or I could ask, how do you evaluate and determine what materials to use on a build? And that way I could learn to analyze all of the materials through their selection method. Number three, a good way to show the person that you're talking to that you've actually been listening to them is to preface your question with a reference to something that your subject said previously or that you know about them from before. So, for example... You mentioned earlier that you were inspired to grow your own food when you had a serious health scare. How has growing veggies benefited your life beyond your physical health? You see what I did there? I referenced back to what they had said before and used that to help them expand around a concept that we can then explore further. Number four, avoid compound questions and keep it brief. Now, I say this one because I'm personally really bad at it, and it's something that I need to work on. I've even had people comment on the shows telling me that I need to stick to just one question at a time. The thing is, I just get so excited to learn from people that I try to ask things all at once and then get a confused response when they don't know how to answer first, and then, of course, they forget the second part of the question later. So instead, keep questions clear and singular, and have some faith that they'll stick around to answer some follow-up questions. Number five, take the time to build rapport with people before asking deep or potentially uncomfortable questions. Especially when you're digging into personal and sensitive experiences, it's just as important to establish trust and comfort with the other person as it is to ask the right questions. I've found for myself that the best questions in the world won't get a deep or a heartfelt response if the other person doesn't feel safe revealing their feelings to you. Often empathizing with their situation or expressing how you've been through something similar, or sometimes even just acknowledging that what they've been through is hard or embarrassing, and that you have no reference to how it would feel, can help to set somebody else at ease. Number six, asking questions can be a more effective way of teaching than just giving students the answers. I've learned this one recently. Actually, one of my students from the Ecosystem Restoration Design course asked me what the best trees to plant on their degraded land should be during one of the Q&A calls the other week. Now, even though I had lots of ideas of what could work for them, I tried to hold back and to ask them how they would go about making that choice for themselves. What factors would they need to consider? Things like their climate, their personal restoration goals, and even their personal tastes, let's say, if they wanted fruit trees. The truth is that the best answers for questions, especially about advice, almost always come from the person who are asking them anyway. 
So I try to look for counter questions that help them to make their own choices. Now, number seven, this last bit of insight that I've learned is that sometimes the best question is silence. Especially if it leads the other person to elaborate or justify their answer beyond what they expected to share. And this works a lot better in person where body language and uncomfortable silences can kind of leverage the tension. On internet calls, they might just ask if you're still there. <laughs> Jill, are you there? Okay, hold on. For some reason, my recorder said it's not initializing. Hold on one sec. One of the people that I've most admired in the podcasting scene is Jill Cloutier, host of Sustainable World Radio, one of the longest running and most successful shows on sustainable living and reconnection with nature still running. Jill is a radio producer, video maker, environmental educator, writer, and PR director of an environmental education and arts nonprofit. And on top of that, she's just a fantastic interviewer. And so I caught up with her to ask her about some of the ways that she goes beyond just gathering information in the interviews to really connect with the people that she's talking to. What I found to be the most important part of interviewing people is to create space. And so... It's really to ask a question and not a yes or no question, right? We, we know that as interviewers. And then just wait and create and be present is super, super important. And then just wait and allow kind of the person's story to unspool. And I think if you create that space, treasures come forward. And then I ask questions based on that. Little personal things that really struck me, I... Um, We'll ask questions about that. I remember asking Darren Doherty in the first interview I did with him about his grandmother's um, arms that smelled like soap, I think it was, because <laughs> she made soap, I think. And so um, I like kind of focusing on personal things. And I always try, even though the topics can be very, very serious, I always try and bring some humor in to, I think humor is a great way to deliver sober messages. There's also some aspects of asking good questions that you just can't prepare for or even fake. I think curiosity is the most important thing, getting back to the questions as well, because I'm truly curious about what people, their stories, like the story behind what the story. And so I think that when you are that type of person, people just spill their guts to you. Have you had that experience? Like even at gas stations, I mean, before COVID, <laughs> I would have people telling me their life stories. And Kevin's like, I just said, oh, that man's wife just, this was years ago, that man's wife just passed away, but his brother's coming into town. And he's like, how did you learn that? And I'm like, oh, in, in, you know, in line, whatever. So it's interesting. I think it's creating that space to be a listener is really the greatest gift we can give others. It seems like we're at a time in our culture where genuine listening is surprisingly rare. Mm -hmm. And when you find yourself in a situation where you feel listened to, it invites you to explore aspects of yourself and your thought process that you're not given license to most of the time. Do you mm -hmm. find that as well? Oh, oh my gosh. I have, I have one friend. Well, I have many friends, but I have one dear friend that when I'm with her, I talk so much and I realize from her presence and I'm like, oh my gosh, here I am talk, telling you this story. And she said, oh no, that's okay. You know, and I think I'm the listening role often with my other group of friends. And when I leave being with her, and then I always turn it around and say, okay, now it's time to talk about you. But to have that gift of her being present and interested in asking questions, it just, it's kind of, a, it gives me this high uplifted feeling, which I'm sure you've experienced as well. It's like, oh my gosh, someone sees me and hears me and is interested. Wow. <laughs> it's great. 
Now look, I love all of these insights on the power of questions and what it takes to be a good listener and invite others to speak from the heart, but these could work for anything. Now since this is regenerative skills after all, and because this episode is going to set the tone for the whole season, I've got to figure out what questions can open up my way of seeing the world and my role in it, so I can be a steward of my environment and facilitate the process of regeneration in this time and culture globally when it's in need of better narratives and inspiring potential. So what am I even talking about when I say regenerative? Uh, regeneration is a concept which is ancient. It is not the next thing to sustainability. It, is, it has been in indigenous cultures, if they haven't been colonized too much, for millennia. This is Carol Sanford, one of the most recognized thought leaders in the regeneration movement whose award-winning books, university courses, and study communities have been pioneering frameworks for business leadership and human development for four decades. I had started by asking her what the mainstream regenerative movement is still getting wrong as a way of opening up an analysis of what the concept of regeneration really is, but Carol immediately reframed the answer to break down how we have to understand the world before we can even start to think about regeneration. Image you first have to get in your mind is of a whole. Most of us work with parts, pieces, issues, causes, something that would answer your first question about what are people getting wrong, where are things in holes not work, or where are things in an H-O-L-E, not a W-H-O-L-E. Um, and so you have to start with a hole in mind. So either pick a child if you have a child in your life, or pick a... Um, uh, a life shed, my term for watershed, because we can talk about that some other time, um, a city, uh, an organization that you work with, which is a whole in and of itself, like a corporation or a not-for-profit. Once you've got that, now I can give you my six words. If I want to be regenerative with that entity and help it be regenerative in its life, the first thing I must have in my mind is how to evolve its capacity. Because all children, all cities, all corporations have aspiration. Uh, they may have missions and visions and strategies, but they don't have capacity. If you have that, now your work is to evolve their capacity to carry that out. And normally what we think of is uh, more like sustainability. The, what you want to do is stop the damage of something and get it back to where it was. Resilience, restoration. Um, so that's the first big shift from the way people are misusing the term regeneration is it's not about getting something back to or getting people out of the way of so they don't damage earth, which is another hole. Uh, we could think about. It is about evolving the capacity of this life shed to do its work. The second set of two words. So evolve capacity for essence expression. So this whole that we have in mind, this picture we have in mind of a child or a city or a life shed or a planet, we have to know that there are no duplicates in there. Each child has an essence, each life shed does. There's no common set of things at a, a level of being. There may be the child has two arms and legs, but they may not. Uh, 
what they have is something that is very deep in them that is not duplicated. You can't even do it by comparison and say they're different than that. Your work is to not do things for them or sell them things, but evolve their capacity to go after what they want and express their essence in doing that. And now I have the last two words. So we're going to evolve capacity for essence expression via system actualization. If you're in regeneration, you're doing uh, nested system actualization. You want not just the city, but the watershed it's in and the region it's in and the planet it's on uh, all to be actualized. And you have to come to understand how to do living systems thinking, not dynamics system thinking. With this expanded framework of what needs to be identified and understood before we can start taking regenerative actions, I wanted to know what questions I could use to focus my thinking around this concept. And luckily, Carol has seven questions to do just that. All right, so regeneration is less about doing directly. And that's the other error that people make is it works from that which is hidden, that which is implicate. So I'm going to give you seven questions. And as you said, just before we started here, the question is where the juice is. Do you know how to define the whole as nature defines it? So a river is not a whole. It is also not a part because <laughs> there are no parts in life. There, in living systems, there are no parts. So you can't actually work regeneratively on rivers. You would be working very likely on a resting disorder, the cleaning them up, um, making sure wildlife gets taken care of, but you wouldn't actually be working on the essence of that particular watershed. Do you know how to conceive of a whole before you do anything? Because if not, you're now completely off on the wrong foot. The second question is, do you know how and how would you go about understanding the essence of that whole? I did a lot of work years ago in psychology uh, and did family therapy. I mean, literally 50 years ago. And what I did is work with parents, learn to connect with the essence of each child, not say, be like your brother or your dad's a role model, go like him or meet all the standards of what we ought to do. And we can classify you as high, um, you know, um, gifted or put you in some category. How do you let go of the categorizing and look at this child, this life shed, this city for what it is? The third one is about potential because we tend to work so much from problems. And even your opening question to me, what do they get wrong? is a problem question, right? It's from a, a paradigm that's not a regenerative question. It's learning how to see not ideals, but see holes with an essence that therefore our potential is our third arena. Now, there are many questions you could ask, but what I would be asking is, notice myself, am I working on problems or am I working for this specific unique entity on its potential? Because problems will always be generic. There'll always be some lump categorizing that we've created and now we got to have a bunch of experts to tell us what fits in there and what the perfect ideal practice is. The fourth first principle is all of living systems have a whole 
that has an, they are a whole, we have to define that it has an essence that is really pursuing potential, think of this child, and there has to be development for that to happen because we're not born ready to do all the stuff that we need to do to carry out our essence. I mean, we know we can't walk and roll over and that kind of stuff, but we also don't have inner capability to manage myself. A two-year-old goes crazy, rolls tantrums. I mean, if we see an adult doing that, we'd say, hmm, not very well developed. What development is needed? Not based on problems, but based on potential. So I've got a framework that holds all of these together. So I never ask development without asking what's the whole and a specific concrete whole that has an essence. And then given what it's seeking to do in the world, what is the potential that needs to be built that they want to build, not me impose it, not me assess it, me support what they're trying to. And now how do we build development for that? development one, the fourth one is like a bridge between the inner work we have to do and the outer world we want to manifest it in. What I'm working on is shifting to a different paradigm from which to ask questions. What's the evolutionary process? It's, it's on. What is it that the work I do could fit in and how do I have to grow me? Those are the kind of questions that um, I like to start with. And those are exactly the kind of questions that I'm going to be challenging myself and my guests to answer in the episodes to come. Now, I especially get fired up about this concept of developing potential, developing my own, that of my relationships, and of the people in my life, in the potential of this show to tell important stories, offer educational insights of how others are achieving regenerative progress in their worlds and the potential to include others in this journey who may never have thought they could regain control of their futures and contribute to a better and fairer world for everyone. This is exactly the potential that I need your help to develop and this is why there will be so many more ways of taking part in the community around this show than in previous seasons. For starters, if you're as tired as I am of the noise and the negativity of most social media platforms, you can join the Regenerative Skills Discussion Forum on Discord through the link in the website where you can share your stories, projects, and questions with me and the other listeners where we'll be working together to help each other with our challenges and celebrate our wins together. That's also where you can reach me directly if you want to share your story or have your questions answered on this show. Now for those of you who are really motivated to upgrade your life and your projects, the new subscription packages that I've just opened up through Patreon will give you access to all the full unedited interviews from each episode, note packets to review all of the essential information and steps, and exclusive links to panel discussions and calls with the experts that I'll be hosting each month. I'll even be offering regular book giveaways and other prizes through these subscriptions throughout the season. Starting today, I even have five spots open for personalized consulting, where you'll get all of the benefits that I just mentioned, as well as one-on-one calls with me, where we'll work to guide you through designing your own project from essential information and context understanding, through ecological and community project or business design, and up through implementation, team assembly, and goal achievement. Now, though I'll be managing the subscriptions through Patreon, I will never ask for donations. Every subscription level comes with resources and links for those of you who are looking to take leaps forward in your regenerative journey. 
The podcast itself is supported by companies and organizations that believe in the integrity of our message and that I've vetted for the integrity of theirs as well as the quality of their products and services and that I'm proud to be associated with. The biggest difference between this show and so many others that are looking to scale and build movements and global change is that I want to focus on the quality of connection and relationships with those of you who come back each week to explore and grow with me. So I won't be urging you to share hashtags and blast this all over the internet with some slim hope of cutting through the noise and the clutter that's already out there. Instead, if you enjoy these topics, ideas, and conversations, I hope that you'll have more of your own. Maybe you could talk about what these episodes make you think of with someone in your life who's curious about the same things. You could call up a friend that you haven't spoke to in a while, but that one of these interviews reminded you of, perhaps. Make an effort to get together with someone, face to face, with whatever level of personal health and precaution is appropriate, of course, and explore how these concepts make you feel and what they provoke in your mind and in your heart. This is the beginning of a whole new format and a way of telling stories for me, so I hope you enjoy it, and I'll see you again next week. Music